Welcome to Raising the Bar, the one and only podcast that centers the lives and experiences of women of color while discussing legal issues and policies. We aim to inform, educate, and provide concrete tools to empower, expand, and raise the bar for our communities and ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Raising the Bar. Hey, y'all. I'm excited uh, to be here today. I actually am very proud of myself because this has probably been the shortest time between episodes. I dropped one last week and I'm dropping one this week. Um, I'm just doing this when I have the time and I'm no longer putting pressure on myself to kind of like do it every two weeks. So Y'all, y'all may get three in a week. Y'all may get, <laughs> and I'm not good at holding them. I know a lot of people are like record and just, you know, release. Some of them are timely and I want to like strike while the iron's hot. And at the end of the day, I can do what I want. So again, this is Iman, your host. Um, real quick, let's get this out the way. You can find us at www.rtbpodcast.com. And we're on Instagram and Facebook at the number one RTB podcast. And that's in the show notes as well. And you can also listen to um, episodes on our website. So check that out just in case. And I don't know if you're like in have all of the Apple podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all of that. You can check us out on our website. So today we are talking about two issues and they're related And so I'm kind of putting them together. We're talking about how Trump, this current administration, is capturing the the judiciary and just nominating like a lot of judges. And then we're also talking about Flint. And I'm going to talk about how they're connected, the the water crisis in Flint. And so I really thought that discussing them together would give us a very practical and example of why it's so important that this administration is nominating so many judges and really changing the landscape of federal courts. But before I do that, I wanted to get into the affirmation of quote or the day, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this is from Brene Brown. She actually has a Netflix episode, um, a Netflix special that I want to watch. And so I definitely encourage all of you to watch her special. But uh, this is a quote from her and it says, there is no innovation and creativity without failure, period. And I'm going to say it again. There is no innovation and creativity without failure, period. I think with the rise of social media, sometimes we're very reluctant to put our failures on display, right? Because if you look on anybody's kind of social media or Facebook or whatever, more likely than not, they're only kind of exemplifying their uh, successes. And I will say that I had to learn to embrace my embrace failure, especially with this podcast, with anything I do. Uh, whenever I'm trying to be creative and come up with new programming uh, for the organization I work with or anything, I've failed many times. And I had to realize that that was just a part of the process. And so know that when you fail, it just means that you tried. When you fail, that means it's way better than not doing any damn thing at all, all day. I would rather fail time and time again and learn from why I failed than not do anything at all. 
And so what I'm hoping this word tells you is in order to get those successes, in order to be create creativity and innovation requires failure. More likely than not, you're never going to get anything on the first try. If y'all could hear my first episode, like the first time I recorded, I sounded like a girl six episode. It was horrible, y'all. It was absolutely horrible. I didn't know how to talk. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable behind the mic. I was sleepy. I had all type of stuff in my throat. It was horrible. And I just kept at it. And it's not to say that, you know, this is by far, you know, perfect, you know, but we need to, failure is not required, but it's inevitable and it's going to happen. And don't let that stop you, right? Creativity and innovation requires failure, period. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, put something, put something in a little battery in somebody's back to if things aren't going your way, keep going, learn from them and keep going. It doesn't define who you are. Uh, so up next, we're going to talk about the federal courts, man. And as an example, we're going to use the Flint water crisis as an example. So stay tuned. All right. So what do we mean when we say federal courts and why is it important that this administration is packing the courts? So really quickly, let's just go over the structure of the courts, right? So the lowest level of the federal courts is the district courts. There are about 94 district courts or trial courts. And these are the courts when we generally think about law and order and you have a judge, you have a jury, and they're talking about, you know, they have witness testimony and they are, you know, trying the facts of the case. This is this is what you think about. This, this is the district court level. Now, there are 94 um, district or trial courts in the, United, in, in the United States district courts, and those are actually broken into 12 regions. There are 12 regional circuits, right? And if, if someone were to lose at the district court level, they would then appeal to the court of appeals, right? And when you think about the court of appeals, there are actually 13 appellate courts, um, but there are 12 regional circuits, and that 13th one um, isn't in the regional circuits. And you'll understand, this will make more sense when I talk about Flint and where that is situated. And the appellate court, they're different from the district court. So the appellate court, they don't really try fact. They just determine whether or not the law was applied correctly in the lower court. And it generally consists of three judges, and they don't use a jury. And um, they hear challenges to, to district court decisions, and they, you know, they talk, they hear um, appeals from decisions of federal administrative um, agencies. And let's see, the trial in the U.S. District Court, gives, like I said, gives witness testimony. And the appellate court, they don't really retry the case. And so all they do is they review the procedures and the decisions that happen in the district courts. And they make sure that the proceedings were fair and the proper law was applied, applied correctly. So why does it matter that Trump, as of this month, has 90, has selected, 92 judges selected by Trump have been confirmed. 37 for circuit courts, which is that higher court, and 53 for district courts, right? And it mattered because the type of issues that are argued in a federal court can range from Reproductive rights, so abortion rights, gay rights, affirmative action, unions, government regulation, and any form of gun control and immigration, right? 
And so when you think about that, and so when you think about, let's just give it, I'm going to put it into context. So right now I said 92 judges that have been selected by Trump have been confirmed, right? Two for the Supreme Court, 37 for circuit courts, and 53 for district courts, right? In addition to the 92 that have already been confirmed, 39 nominations have been cleared, have cleared the Senate Judiciary Committee. And for courts, for federal courts, the Senate nominates, the president nominates, Senate approves, right? So 39 nominations have been cleared by the Senate Judiciary Committee. 31, I mean, I'm sorry, 21 of the 39 were voted out of committee on a vote, which means on strict party lines, right? And right now in the in the Senate, Republicans have a majority. And then, so put aside the 92 that I talked about that have already been confirmed, the 31 that have been cleared by the Senate Judiciary Committee. On top of that, there's 61 more nominations, six for appellate and 55 for district have been made. So today, this administration has appointed nearly 22% of the appellate judges with more to come, right? And so for this case, for this episode, we're just focusing on the Sixth, um, the sixth Circuit because that's where Michigan, that's where Flint is located. And so when you talk about that, um, Trump has appointed 37% of the judges in the Sixth Circuit. So six out of 16 have been appointed by Trump. And I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the cases that they've recently decided or some of the characteristics or decisions that Trump judges have come out with. And you're like, whoa, right? And then, oh, also want to note, of the 92 that were, have been confirmed to date, 1% are African-American and 25% are women. And these judges have lifetime tenure. So, um, a couple of things. One, the Senate recently has, has made it easier to get these nominations through committee and get them voted on. Um, recently, um, they used the nuclear option to reduce debate time on most presidential nominees. Um, this nuclear option has only been, I think, used, has been used three times in the past six years. And really what it means is that they um, change the rules for vote and they go with a simple majority vote. And right now, the, by using the nuclear option, the Republicans cut the time between ending debate and final confirmation to 30 hours to two hours. And so what this means is, how many people did I tell y'all were awaiting confirmation? So they have 61 more nominations have been made. And really what it means is they'll get those 61 in probably quicker. One is a simple vote, and then two is less time required from 30 hours to two hours. And I believe in all is 180 vacancies, I want to say, that they're looking to, to uh, fill. And that's before, you know, the presidential, before the election, before 2020. So why is this important? So Flint, Michigan um, is a part of the Sixth Circuit. And the Sixth Circuit is right now they have 16 judges on the bench. Three were appointed by Clinton. Six were appointed by Trump five appointed by George Bush, and two appointed by, by Barack Obama. And so up next, we're going to talk about Flint. We're going to talk about everything that happened in Flint and how they were able to, just recently, they received um, notice that they can, their, their lawsuits can proceed in federal court. And just why it's important for us to remember that the judiciary, which is a third separate and equal branch, 
right, is really being hijacked. And that third separate and equal branch will be packed with people with lifetime tenures who may not reflect uh, the values and um, opinions of the majority of this country. So yeah, up next, we're going to give you a background on Flint and just tie it all together. All right. So Flint, Michigan. Um, I know we've heard a lot about Flint, Michigan in the past since 2014. And I have to admit that I, so I knew of course that, you know, they had, you know, poisonous water. I knew it was largely a black community. I honestly, I think underestimated the government's role in this. Um, and that's why, you know, recently we've seen that, you know, the, the judges have ruled that they aren't immune. And I think one of the reasons why the judges have ruled this way is because their conduct, government employees that were involved in this case, their conduct, conduct was just egregious. Like it was, is absolutely ridiculous. And we're going to talk about that. But one question that I want to answer really quickly and want to get it out the way is a person asked me, um, why did they need approval? You know, why did they need to seek approval? Or why did a judge have to allow the, their suit to move forward? And it's largely because when a government employee is acting in, in their official capacity, they're immune from lawsuits, you know, um, and that's longstanding law. And I think what we're seeing now is that judges are saying, no, y'all, in this case, in this case of Flint, Michigan, in the water crisis, you're not immune because your actions were egregious. And we're going to talk about the actions. Okay, so let's get it. Flint, Michigan. Where or who or what is Flint, Michigan? Well, Flint, Michigan is a small town. And I actually pulled some census data um, and this is as of April 1st, 2010. Um, and, you know, the census is every 10 years. And, ooh, that's a whole nother doozy we need to talk about, the census. But as of April 2010, there were about 100,000 people in Flint. And they had about 25% under the age of 18. Um, and it's largely a black um, community. It's 53% black, um, about 40% white. And it's a largely, you know, impoverished community. Um, the median household income was $26,000. And the persons living, there were about 41, 41% of the population living in poverty. Okay. So, and actually, um, I think I read something where it's one of the poorest cities in the country, actually. Um, so what happened in, Fran in Flint? So in short, and I'm going to give you a very concise um, narrative, a very concise summary. And then we're going to go through just a very brief timeline. But in essence, what happened was in 2014, the state, the state switched Flint's water supply in an effort to save money. And um, the state was largely in control of the water supply. Cause I think after an audit finding the city was, um, they had a huge deficit, um, and the state, the state kind of took over control of the city. The state, the, the state decided to switch their water supply from where Detroit was getting this water to like a local river, right? The water, and, and they switched it to the Flint River. And it just happened that, you know, when, when they, they, they switched it to the Flint River, you know, water started coming out of people's taps, like their faucets, brown and smelling like sewage, Right. 
Government leaders told the people that the water was safe. It wasn't. Um, the improperly treated water corroded old pipes that led into faucets and, and showers. Kids were poisoned with lead. You had people dying of Legionnaire's disease. Um, the state largely provided bottled water for about two years. So that was kind of like from 2014, 15 to, to like 16, 17. And they stopped providing water. And they switched back to the original water supply. And now the state is saying that the tap water is safe to drink. And of course, the community does not trust or believe them. And I frankly, I completely understand. And, and you'll understand more when I go through the timeline. So... As I said, um, Flint was actually once a very thriving community. Um, at one point back in the 80s, it was home of, you know, the largest General Motors plant. Um, and then after GM downsized, it took a big hit. And so, as I said, the state of Michigan in 2011 took over the city's finances after there was a projected $25 million deficit. And so... The water went from before the city took it over, it was in Lake Huron, and then after it went to the Flint River. And the Flint River is where you, that's where we start all of the poisonous water came from. And so, and I think they switched in April of 2014. That's when they switched. And so, very, like, very recently after they switched, you know, they started to detect you know, parasites, and they started to, to prompt boil water advisories. Um, they will, and they and they started to. Um, they had positive tests for E. coli, um, and largely, you know, I want to say in October of two thousand and fourteen. Now that was, um, that was what May, June, July, five months after, roughly five to six months after they switched to the Flint River, the General Motors plant. Influence stopped using the city's water due to high concerns of um, high levels of chlorine that were corroding engine parts. So let me say that again. The water that they were using, that they were sending to people's homes, was corroding engine parts. Right? Now, GM struck a deal with a neighboring township to purchase water from Lake Huron. Right? So, in January 2015, the city warned residents that the water contained byproducts of disinfectant that may cause health issues, including a risk of cancer over time. The water was deemed safe for the general population, but they said the elderly and parents of young children were cautioned to use the water. This was in January 2015. Now, in the same month, the um, in the same month, there was an offer for Flint to reconnect back to their to the old water supply, which was Lake Huron Water Supply. And they were willing to waive the $4 million fee to restore service. Because obviously there had been rumblings that, you know, Flint River wasn't safe, right? So they said, nah, you know what? Y'all could hook back up to the original water supply. We're even willing to waive the $4 million fee. And we're willing to restore your service. City officials declined. They said, no, we don't want water rates to go up. So we don't want to hook back up. Like the water, this water is safe. So does, despite the fact that y'all willing to waive that fee, nah, we're good, right? So that same month, residents started to like really take to the streets and really advocate on their behalf. Residents started to tote drugs of the discolored, discolored water to community forums. You know, the, the paper was 
reporting on children with developing rashes and suffering from mysterious um, illnesses. Um, so in that, about two months later, in March of 2015, Flint City Council members voted seven to one to stop using the river water and to reconnect to Detroit. However, the state-appointed emergency manager overruled the vote. He called it incomprehensible. He claimed that costs were skyrocket and that the water from Detroit is no safer than the water from Flint. So despite everything that's going on, despite the GM was saying this water is corroding engine parts, the city council voted to stop, but the city manager said, the state-appointed emergency manager said, nah, uh -uh, this is incomprehensible. So that was in March 2015. June 2015, a group of clergymen and activists filed a lawsuit against the city, charging that the river water was a health risk. The city attorney said that the lawsuit was baseless. Baseless. The case was dismissed in September. That same month in June 2015, the EPA manager issued a memo. High lead levels in Flint. Now keep in mind, he got this from, they tested someone, um, I believe her name was, well, her last name is Walter. I can't think of her first name right now, and I'll get back to it. But they tested tap water from a resident's home, and they found that level up, lead level was as high as 13,200 ppb. Water contaminated with 5,000 ppb of lead is classified as hazardous waste. So I'm going to say those numbers again. If it's 5,000 PPB of lead in the water is classified as hazardous waste. The water from her home had 13,200 PPB of lead, right? So, um, and I believe Miss Walters, she actually shared the memo, um, the EPA memo that talked about the high lead levels um, with testing water from her home. She shared that with the ACLU, an investigative reporter from the ACLU. The ACLU then posted a video about the lead in, um, in Walter's water. The mayor, then after that, and in, in, I guess in response to this EPA memo, goes on TV and drinks a cup of tap water on local television to ensure residents that the water is safe. <laughs> and then they say that um, anyone who is concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can relax. So then, good gracious, I'm not, y'all, when I tell you this is, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually skipping over things in this timeline. I really am. In September 2015, a team from Virginia Tech conducted a water quality studies issue um, and issues a preliminary report indicating that 40% of Flint homes have elevated lead levels. September 2015, after concluding that the Flint water is 19 times more corrosive than Detroit water, recommend that the state declare the water is not safe for drinking. The river water was corroding old pipes and lead and leaching into the water. That was according to the study by Virginia Tech. In September 2015, a research team um, led by a pediatrician, found that the number of children with elevated lead levels in their blood nearly doubled after the city switched its water source. In October 2015, they announced that three Flint schools tested positive for dangerous lead levels in the water. The governor finally says the city will discontinue using Flint River water. So this was, I want to say, a year? 
yeah, this was about a year after, right? So then the government, so the city switched back in October 2015, and they initially switched in April 2014. So that was over a year. Um, let's see. In December 2015, Flint declared a city a state of emergency. Um, and then in January 2016, the gov governor, Governor Snyder at the time, wrote President Barack Obama and requested $55 million to install lead-free pipes throughout the city. The president declined to declare a disaster in Flint. Instead, President Barack Obama authorized $5 million in aid, declaring a city a state of emergency in the city. The state of emergency allowed FEMA to step in. Let's see, what else, what other foolishness we have? Okay, so in April 2016, criminal charges were finally filed against government employees Mike Glasgow, Stephen Bush, and Mike Prisby. In April 2016, that's when numerous five, 514 residents and former residents of Flint filed a class action lawsuit against the BPA. I'm sorry, the EPA. In May 2016, President Obama visited Flint. Um, let's see. In March 2017, EPA announced that it awarded $100 million to Flint for drinking water infrastructure upgrades. Um, and so then in June, 2004, I'm sorry, June, 2017, the, the Michigan attorney general's office announced several state officials have been charged with involuntary manslaughter in connection with the Legionnaires outbreak between June, 2014, June was just two months after they switched to, to Lake Flint, um, and November, 2015, that killed 12 people. Um, and then in April 6, 2018, that's when the governor announced that it was ending the free bottled water program in Flint. He claimed that water quality had been restored. The program was part of a $450, $450 million state and federal aid package. Um, and just recently this month, just this month, um, uh, federal uh, yeah, U.S. Judge Linda Parker rules that Flint residents can proceed with lawsuits against the federal government in connection to the city wa um, water crisis. In August 2018, a judge ruled that there was sufficient evidence to proceed with the criminal trial for one of the officials charged with involuntary manslaughter in connection with the Legionnaire's disease outbreak. Now, why did I go through that? I know that, that I was basically reading, reading from a timeline, but I really wanted you all to see just how many opportunities and instances was how many opportunities did they did everyone involved have for this to go another way right the the people were largely ignored for years it took them over a year to switch the water supply right and so the issue here now is i know a lot of people are asking well what is happening now like do they have clean water now the issue now is they're currently undergoing um, the infrastructure changes to change the pipes um, and a lot of the plumbing infrastructure, right? So the public, right? And so they're still changing that now, but they haven't changed the pipes in people's homes. And so if we're saying that the water that 
was coming out of the Flint River was literally eating through and it was corrosive enough to injure the pipes, then it doesn't matter if you put new water, the old, you know, the water from Lake Huron back in, my pipes are still wrong. Like, you know what I mean? Fundamentally, you need to do fix all of this. So while the government may say, yes, you know, the water is safe to drink, a lot of people in Flint are still using, you know, bottled water to brush their teeth, to cook with. Um, I was reading recently where, for the most part, they may take showers with the water, but they don't ingest it. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about, you know, there's like, I know we see a lot like a countdown of, when, you know, when was the last time Flint had clean water? Yes, they switched back to, you know, Detroit providing them with water, right? Yes, Lake Huron, yes. But the pipes are still there. Those same pipes that were corroded with the water, it's still there. Um, and from what I understand, there's still a ways to go before they, you know, totally, um, before they totally change all of the pipes, the public pipes, public pipes and the pipes in people's, in the residential homes. So why does this matter? This matters because like I said, in the very beginning, Flint is located in the sixth circuit. And the Sixth Circuit currently has 16 judges on the bench, six of them appointed by Trump, right? And that's honestly, that's just the Court of Appeals. I didn't even talk about the district court. And so why does it matter that, you know, why does it matter? First of all, it matters because I want to say the Supreme Court, when we talk about the Supreme Court, and I know we're very, we're always so, I, I would say, by and large, people care about Supreme Court decisions, right? It's the highest court in the, court in the land. Um, their decisions are usually very, you know, controversial, very divisive. Um, you think about, you know, gay marriage. You think about health care. You think about all of these huge, you know, affirmative action. You think about all of these nationwide issues and policies, right? But the Supreme Court, for the most part, only sees about 80 cases a year. And so when we talk about the majority of these cases are decided by the Court of Appeals. It's very rare that a case even that the Supreme Court will grant, you know, review of a case. And so most cases are, are decided by that level right below the Supreme Court. And right now, one out of five judges on that level right below the Supreme Court appointed by Trump. Now, why, you know, and this is the thing. Why do we care about that, right? We really didn't care when Bush appointed people. We didn't care when Clinton appointed people. Like, it wasn't this big issue. First of all, I'll say two reasons why. The first reason is the administrations, the previous administrations really didn't have, like, a targeted plan to, like, take over the judiciary. You know, there was, I remember in the in the Obama administration, there was, like, real concern because there were so many vacancies, right? And it, and secondly, I think it matters because what we're seeing, the decisions that we're seeing for some of the appointees by this administration. So one appointee, newly appointed, he's in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. His name is um, James Ho. Um, he was a Texas Solicitor General. And I will say, another issue is that a lot of these people, I think, a lot of people argue that many of the appointees or many of the nominations that Trump has put up, they're not 
they're largely not qualified. <laughs> so um, I think the ABA recently, um, so more of Trump's judicial picks have received a not qualified rating from the American Bar Association than did then those that were nominated by four of his most recent prede- predecessors. So I believe eight of his eight of his nominees so far, and maybe more of that because this is a fairly old article, rated them not qualified. But they were still, and I'm not sure if all of them were actually um, appointed, but more likely than not. So outside of being not qualified, which I shouldn't even say outside of not being qualified, because that should be the standard if you're qualified or not. But outside of that, like I said, James Ho, he's on the Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals. He was a Texas Solicitor General. And he issued a ruling um, in a case called Zimmerman, Zimmerman v. City of Austin. And it was, thank God, it was a dissent ruling. They didn't go with his thinking, thank goodness. But um, in his ruling, so they, the issue was um, whether or not $350 per election lim- donation limit violated the First Amendment. And he stated that it, it, in his ruling, that the limit did violate the First Amendment, which I'm like, huh? And then he had like this convoluted thinking of how if you want big government, then you have to have money and finances and politics. And it was just something I was just like, what in the world, right? And not to say, I'm also, I don't believe that just because I disagree with the judge that they shouldn't be on, um, that, you know, that they shouldn't, they're not qualified to be a judge, But, you know, some of the things, this is just the characteristics or these are the decisions that we're seeing from, you know, judges that are appointed by Trump, nominated by Trump. Another recent example out of the Sixth Circuit, and this is the the Sixth Circuit that we're talking about that would um, preside over Flint's, the, the lawsuits out of this Flint water crisis. So Ohio passed a law barring state public health grants to any organization performing abortions. Of course, Planned Parenthood sued the state, claiming that Ohio had imposed an unconstitutional condition on its receipt of grants, and thereby effectively requiring that Planned Parenthood forego providing abortion services to its clients. I'll say time and time again, abortion is not the only thing that Planned Parenthood provides, but I don't, they don't care about that. Anyway... Planned Parenthood was successful in invalidating the law at the district court level. So it was that lower level that we talked about. And then again, at the circuit court. So the first time it was seen in the circuit court, only three judges. Only three judges actually provided over, presided over the case. Then um, they actually went a, a glint before the, the circuit court again, but it was a full circuit court. And what I mean is all 16 provided over the case the second time. And with the addition of the four new Trump appointed judges, the decision was reversed by a vote of 11 to six, thereby reinstituting the law barring state funding of Planned Parenthood in Ohio. So why does this matter? Why do appointments matter? And why is this an opportunity for us to raise the bar. They matter because we have three branches of government. We have the executive, we have the legislative, and we have the judicial. And they're supposed to be separate but equal. And I'm just not entirely sure that our 
our government is operating as intended. Okay. Two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. And I got this. I forgot what article I got this from. But two and a half of our three branches of government are now squarely in control of the current conservative Republican Party. And what that means is executive Republican. The Supreme Court Republican. The lower courts in the, in the federal court system, Republican largely, and becoming more Republican. And then Congress, one out of two, the Senate, Republican. And so the federal, the federal courts will soon be the last place we go to seek justice on the federal level. And so when we talk about the importance of the judiciary, when we talk about the importance of voting, of um, elections, because frankly, anytime that there are an issue with an election, it goes to federal court more likely than not. When we talk about certifying election results, when we talk about civil rights issues, affirmative action, um, when we talk about administrative procedures, things that are happening in agencies, all of these will be decided by judges that are picked by this current administration who may or may not be qualified, who have lifetime tenure, and frankly, will have a, 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 longer, um, a longer impact than this current presidential administration will have. And so then more than anything, this was a promise that Trump made to his base is that he will change the court system. And he probably, he may, he may not have done much else, but he damn sure did this. <laughs> so keep an eye out. The lawsuits from Flint, there are a lot of them. And now they have a go ahead to proceed with their lawsuits. Definitely keep an eye out. I'll make sure that I keep an eye out. And if there are any um, settlements or the, any um, decisions, I'm sorry, decisions that come down from district court or court of appeals. I'll make sure I either put it on the website or I'll post it to Facebook or Instagram. Um, what happened in Flint was totally preventable. It could have been prevented. What happened in Flint is an example of, you know, environmental racism. And it's definitely an intersection of environmental justice and racial justice. What happened in Flint probably would not have happened if the community looked differently. What happened in Flint needs to be resolved. What happened in Flint, definitely we need to see some justice. And the only justice right now we'll see is in the federal court system. And, and, and that same court system is being dramatically changed by this current presidential administration. So I hope I didn't give you too much information. I hope I was able to connect the two. And I hope that by using the very, very important and um, frankly dire situation in Flint that we can see why it's important that we pay attention to things like this. So until next time, be blessed, be safe. I know this is a longer episode than you're used to, but... I hope that it was informative and I hope that it helped. Uh, be blessed. <laughs> <laughs>